You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to another episode of Listener Questions Live on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and CincyJungle.com. Welcome to our Friday get-together where we kick off your weekend by answering your questions about the Cincinnati Bengals, their upcoming matchup on Sunday, and all things Bengals. You can get in touch with us via call or text 949-542-6241. Email theobinsider at gmail.com. You can tweet us at BanglesOBI, and we've got three live chat feeds going, one on CincyJungle.com on our post, one on Cincy Jungle's Facebook, and another on our YouTube channel. So get those questions to us. We're going to fire through as many as we can and uh, get to them on all kinds of different platforms. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, how you doing, bud? Doing pretty good on this Friday, a Friday filled with potential mystery in terms of the Bengals <laughs> week six matchup but some of that appears to be cleared up this morning via the Colts owner eccentric owner Jim Mercy so I guess I guess we can kick it off with that yes we will and I'm sharing a uh, an update from the Indianapolis Colts website from Twitter so I know we're going to be asked a lot about this number one John and I don't work in the league office we don't work inside the front offices of the Indianapolis Colts, nor do we in the Cincinnati Bengals. We cover the NFL, we cover the Bengals, but we do not have any say or any other inside information on this except for, like John said, Jim Mersey came out and said everything's copacetic for the game to start. There, I guess, were some four, uh, there were four positive samples that were retested and been confirmed negative after a couple of different sources said so per the Indianapolis Colts. So I know there are a lot of people wondering what's going on with the game Sunday and everything after this came out. And like John said, after Jim Ursay, Colts owner came out and said, we're on Marissa Contapelli of bangles.com confirmed that. So as of now, we are on John Sheeran for Sunday at 1 PM Eastern Things can change, as we know, with the COVID situations and how fluid things can be. But as of now, there are no changes. So if that's where your questions are going to go, we're going to kick it off with that and just let you know that as of now, there are no changes to the games. Right, John? Absolutely. And real quick, uh, Chad Hellier from Facebook. Happy birthday, man. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks for joining us on your birthday. I wish we had a, a another gift aside from a podcast episode for you, but... Uh, Hopefully this is this is our gift to you, our birthday gift to you. Happy birthday! And hopefully the Bengals get you a win this weekend, my friend. That would be that would be good. So Noel from Logan asks, uh, how much of the run game struggles are on Joe Mixon's quote unquote Le'Veon Bell style of play, i.e., patience, all that stuff? With such a battle line, Mixon should know the holes he's waiting aren't aren't opening up. So there's some interesting stats regarding Joe Mixon this season. For one, he's actually facing. Not very many eight-man boxes, which has been a rarity compared to how his career started. 
and his time behind his time behind line of scrimmage is pretty much league average. But unfortunately, there's another metric from next gen stats called efficiency, which measures how much of a north and south runner that you are. And right now he's one of like the bottom six or seven guys in terms of just getting across the line of scrimmage and getting up field as quick as possible. So while yes, it's on the it's on the run blocking in terms of not getting uh, holes opened up for him in terms of the primary read. He also has to do a better job of getting downhill a, a little bit quicker. And it's not always just about like he like he does not run the same way that Le'Veon Bell does when he was in his prime at Pittsburgh. It, it's not the same. There's been a couple examples of that, but it's not necessarily like that. So it is on him to also get into those holes. It's on the offensive line to open them up, but it's not just one has to do better than the other or one is more failing than the other one right now. The other thing that's interesting about this and why I found this to be such like an intriguing question via text is when Gio Bernard sometimes goes, when when you've, we've seen games where Mixon is just not getting it going, the offensive line's not blocking well, and it's a lot of big losses or a lot of three yards cloud of dust type of things. Uh, type of runs by Mixon. And then Gio gets in there for a spell and all of a sudden he pops a decent run. And and you see Gio be a little bit more decisive initially on where he's going. And, you know, I think sometimes people, fans look at that and you say, well, you know, what's going on? But there are other schemes and, and you see late in the season when things start to click that happened in 18 and happened in 19 and maybe it'll happen this year. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's Terrell. Terrell. Wouldn't be a Friday without you, my friend. How are you? Oh, yeah. Not not without y'all either, though. But uh, <laughs> I just want to just say a couple uh, good things, though. Uh, one thing I got to say is that, that linebacker core is a breath of fresh air from last year. And they love Wilson home better than all three that trash they had last year. But just wait till the uh, – but Ken Gaither and they get their grown man body and get their experience, they're going to be great. Um, I, I just want to say uh, Jesse Bates and Tyler Boyd, they better get to the Pro Bowl. They better make it to the top 100 this year. If they don't make it to the top 100, I told my friend, I said, if they don't make it to the top 100 this year, I got got to rock better to the NFL. So, it's a good deal or something. Because I know we the Bengals, but we, 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 and then, um, I just got to say that we, we just got to tighten up, just get more experience that we can. Um, it's some type of way that we try to get some type of practice squad linemen like Sadiq Charles or something like that to try to uh, maneuver around or something like that. And uh, maybe some tight ends, I feel like, some more they can stretch the field. Just maybe next year in the draft. But that's all I got to say. Cool day and uh, like I said, just I know it's gonna be long, but it's gonna be a double ride. But I say about six or seven wins, though. All right, thanks, Terrell. We will we'll take uh, some of your comments off the air here. Thanks for calling in as always, bud. Have a great one. All right, no you world. too. Bye. Uh, I mean, the the I mean, we know we've seen the improvement from the linebackers, like Terrell said. So I mean, we've talked a little bit about that on some of our other shows with uh, Lo- Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis, Gaither. Davis Gaither just seems like he's been so close to making some really impactful plays and just hasn't done it yet. Um, so you, you hope that that turns around for him. Of course, Jesse Bates is playing like one of the best safeties in all of football. So probably if that continues throughout the year, he's going to make the Pro Bowl, John. But what do you make about the the scouring of you know, practice squads, et cetera? I think he mentioned Sadiq Charles, who is on the Washington football team, and he I think he's gonna start for this week for them. So I'm not sure that he's available, but I wanna go like I wanna go back to what he said about Bates. I think Bates 
is making an argument for being one of the most valuable defensive players in the NFL right now. PFF has him with an 89 overall grade. The next closest Bengal is William Jackson with a 69 on the Bengals defense. You think about all the injuries that they've lost on that side of the ball, and they still have a an above-average defense right now. I think PFF just ranked them in the top 10 for their defense. So B- Bates has been the main catalyst around that turnaround, and I think that speaks volumes to how well that he's playing and how much value that he's giving that defense. And when it comes down to giving out these awards at the end of the season, you have to think that he his name is going to be up there. Yeah, and, and the the Bengals have a I've this is a guy I've been intrigued by this offseason. Bengals in terms of a pass catching tight end, they have a guy on their own practice squad, Mitchell Wilcox, that I wonder if that he gets a shot later in the season. But obviously with CJ Uzama going down, they don't have the faith in Wilcox to step right in and, and make some plays from the tight end position. I do think a pass catching tight end would be nice to have in this offense. I know, you know, the people out there are always um, talking about your favorite player, uh, Thaddeus Moss, John, uh, floating out there. I, I don't think he's been picked up. But look, uh, the Bengals need I, I, they need some help. Pass catching tight end would be would be helpful. Obviously, offensive lineman. But really, are you gonna are you gonna go out there and get a starting caliber offensive lineman off of someone else's practice squad? Maybe if you find a diamond in the rough, John. I looked this morning. I just was curious based on the Bengals offensive line performance. I go, I just, my mind went to Josh Jones, right? The kid from Houston. And I go, what is he doing? That was a guy that ended up falling. You know, a lot of people wanted him in the second round for the Bengals, maybe even third round. Like, what is he doing for the Cardinals? Well, he started zero games and played in two. So, uh, and that's a guy who was, I think the 75th overall pick in the draft. So I don't know that you can just go on someone else's practice squad and readily find someone that's a plug and play starter. Yeah, I mean, this isn't Walmart. You can't just grab guys off the shelf and expect them to start. So, and, and uh, yeah, L- L- Lindsey Brillhart, you know, no Pro Bowl for 2021. It is true. This, this isn't going to be a game, but they're still going to be honoring guys with Pro Bowl, like, nominations and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got a call from another longtime listener, John from Kentucky. Oh, thanks for taking my call. You know, Anthony Cazenza, John Sheeran, just a few of the great podcasters oh, thanks, uh, for man. the Cincinnati Bengals. I always enjoy listening to you guys. Appreciate that. I have followed the Cincinnati Bengals for the last 40 years. Oh, actually longer than that. In the 70s, I was a you know a little kid. I do remember the first game that comes to memory was with, uh, I think it was Tiger Johnson. I think it was around 1975. And then Homer Rice. And then, but when Forrest Gregg came and the Bengals did make their first Super Bowl, I was kind of hooked ever since. But uh, in this 40 year period, the Bengals have actually had, in my opinion, four Super Bowl caliber teams. Of hmm. course, with Kenny Anderson, they did go. They made it. With Boomer Esiason, they made it. Now, with Carson Palmer, unfortunately, his injury, but that team was Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl competitive. And of course, 2015 with Andy Dalton. And I just want to uh, make this point. I don't think I've ever said this, but uh, when Hugh Jackson was here, Andy Dalton, there was a major difference in 2015 than what we normally see. He was not predictable. He would come up to the line of scrimmage slowly, and he's looking all over the place at the defense. Then he gets down to run a play. Then he stands up, and he runs over to A.J. My point, he keeps audibling and changing plays. The Bengals were 10-3 and that season. So unfortunate Dalton broke his thumb. Anyway, to get to the day's issues, I think last year we were a little bit too hard on Dalton, even though he's been 10 years, time for him to go. 
But people were just like, Dalton, 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 that's all our problem. Well, Burrow is here, and it's very obvious. Dalton was not our only problem. I just hope Joe Burrow is not, is not seriously injured. I'm sure we're all hoping yeah. that. And what should the guy do? I, he's not been here long enough to change up plays and audible just yet. And these players aren't on the same page anyway. To just get the ball and just try to make that quick pass, get it back down like Dalton did so many times, or just throw it away, just whatever, for his own protection. What do you think? Well, John, thanks for calling in. That's a, that's a really good point and a, a lot of good questions. We'll sure. take them off the air, bud. It's good to hear from you again. Be sure to call in when sure. we when we take the air. But uh, take care and enjoy the game this weekend. Take care. All right. So, John, look, my my thing is, I think with both quarterbacks, I think we know there's that the potential is sky high with Joe Burrow and the championship window is open with Joe Burrow on this team. There are a lot of new parts including Burrow on this team that complicate the offense, but also John, this offensive line pigeonholes this team into doing certain things because they can't, they don't, they, they can't provide the protection that is needed to really do all the things that Burrow does well. And even though Dalton struggled, it, it was kind of the same thing towards the later years there, you know, it kind of pigeonholed him with his limited skill set. It doesn't matter if your quarterback isn't the only problem. If your quarterback is a problem, then that's a problem that needs to be remedied immediately, if not sooner. And that's exactly why they 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 dumped all into the trash and got a a franchise caliber quarterback, Joe Burrow. The difference is it wasn't going to change overnight if the offensive line didn't drastically improve. The offensive line is essentially the same as it was last year, only have a better yet rookie left tackle instead of a rotation of John Jerry and Andre Smith. All the other positions, like they're they're basically the same players right now. So nothing's really changed for the better part because there's only so much that one offensive lineman can do to better the entire group. That was the biggest issue going into this team, and it's obviously hindered this team from doing basically anything meaningful this season. It wasn't going to change overnight unless that drastically changes overnight. And even then, you still have a rookie quarterback that more times than not, rookies don't really produce well compared to the rest of the veteran quarterbacks in the NFL. It wasn't just a one-year reclamation project, and it's not something that we can say hey, maybe we shouldn't have been too hard on Dalton. He wasn't exactly the biggest problem. It doesn't matter if he wasn't the biggest problem. If he is a problem and there's a way to improve upon that, you fix that first. You always do. Yeah, and I think we talked about this one a little bit, John. Look, I mean, Taylor tries to bring over the system that the Rams run. Well, you know what the Rams have? The Rams have a capable offensive line, including one of the top offensive tackles by Pro Football Focus Metrics, Andrew Whitworth, still Andrew Whitworth, one of the top PFF tackles. So they are able to do a lot of different things in that McVay offense because of a competent offensive line, whereas the Bengals do not have that in pass pro. Right. Let's get to another question here. Um, This story came from, I believe, Thursday night. This question comes from Mark Fry from YouTube. What is your opinion on Baltimore defense coordinator Don Martindale yelling at Zach Taylor for taking a field goal at the end of last week and avoiding a shutout? I heard that and I'm like, really? That's that's the battle you're going to pick? That's the hill you're going to die on? I, I understand. And in one sense, if that is your coach, you almost kind of like it because you're so competitive that you want to maintain that shutout and you want to you want to really stick it to a division rival. And I like that. If, if you are a Ravens fan, I think you probably like a little bit of that. But it just seems so petty. It seems so ridiculous. They already pounded the Bengals all day. They pounded their rookie quarterback all day. I find it to be really trivial and, you know, you're sweating small things that maybe shouldn't be 
sweated, but that is, if that's even correct English, I don't even know, but that is my, <laughs> that is my take on it. Like, I don't think either of these coaches are going to remember this in a month. I think it was something that happened in the moment and it's still kind of fresh in, in Martindale's memory. Apparently he just yelled across the field, like calling him out for doing it. And Taylor was quote unquote, just quiet because he knew what it was. At the end of the day, like if I'm Zach Taylor, yeah, like I, I guess three points is better than nothing. But at that point, like there's no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you're already beaten to a death, and the only difference is just three points. So I get both sides of it. But at the end of the day, like it's so inconsequential, it's just not even worth talking about. Yeah, uh, let's get to one one we had on Twitter. I'm going to share it here. Uh, Ryan Kaufman. Real brief and to the point, John, why on earth isn't Ross playing? Well, Ross isn't playing because he has not been doing very well when he has been called upon this year. He has had one of the most enigmatic and frustrating careers to this point as a Cincinnati Bengal. However, John, I noticed a tweet from Lindsay Patterson this morning, Cincinnati media member, that she said something to the effect of it looks like John Ross is going to get his shot this weekend, whatever that means, but... Uh, your your thoughts on Ross and maybe what this all means for Sunday. Well, he's probably going to play because Auden Tate's probably not going to play. He's, I think, listed as doubtful with a shoulder injury. It's kept him out of practicing full this week. So, yeah, it's just, it's just his time to go up against. And now you had James Rapine for Sports Illustrated writing something about, you know, it's time to get Ross back involved. Like, I know that there was a reason why he wasn't out on the field. There just uh, was a clear lack of communication with him in Burrow, and it just looked like he just wasn't there mentally. And even if he was fully healthy for one of the first times in his career, like it, it just wasn't coming together. And at this point in year four, you got to have the guys out there that can actually do do their job, especially with, with the receiving core that's as deep as it is right now, even with AJ Green suffering injuries. So, yeah, like at this point, with how bland and, and terrible the offense is, there's no real downside of bringing him back out there and see what it is, especially when you have a guy in Tate who's going to be injured and you need another receiver to step up. I'm not expecting a lot from him at this point because there's just no point. But yeah, there's no, there's no harm in seeing what he has for a couple targets this week. Look, the other point, John, here is uh, this may be still a season where, you know, especially as the losses potentially pile up here in this tough stretch. You know, this may be a season where, again, you look to next year and you say, what do we have for next year? The Bengals have Auden Tate under contract for another year beyond 2020. So he'll he'll be here in 21 by all, you know, by all stretches of the imagination. John Ross is an impending free agent. And at some point, they're going to need to see what they have from him. And if he is going to make it with Joe Burrow in this offense, under Zach Taylor. And if he can provide anything, provide any kind of consistency in in the deep ball game, uh, he needs to start showing it if he's going to remain in Cincinnati next year. It's looking very unlikely that he will, but it could become kind of a audition type of scenario for some of these teams if if this season kind of starts to get out of control in the loss column. Exactly. Like he's not just fighting for a contract with Cincinnati, he's fighting for a contract with another team right now. Right. So let's go back to uh, Facebook. We had a question from yeah. Kyle Gentry at the beginning of the show. What's the deal with Marcus Hunt? There are apparently rumors that the Bengals visited him and are interested in bringing him in. They need bodies at defensive line. But Anthony, a guy who was a part of the Marvin Lewis tenure, like how would you feel about him coming back? I mean, it's a body and it's a guy who uh, I'll say this. I mean, he was more recently productive than he was at the beginning of his career. It's not like a guy necessarily who was, you know, 
doing this and then he they're getting him really on the on the downside but the problem is john he's older than aj green he i mean yeah. it's he's like 30 he's like 33 years old 34 years old and even though he kind of ascended with the colts and never nothing ever happened with the Bengals, um you know it's a guy that it's it's a guy that's still up there in age how much production is he really going to give you he's a physical freak but it, how much production is he going to give you at this age and the thing also that really made me surprised about this. That was a Marvin Lewis guy. Uh, and no, really nobody from Marvin Lewis's staff is held over under Zach Taylor. And the fact that they want him back, this smells totally like Mike Brown. So I, I don't, I, I'm not like against it, but I just don't see a, a huge upside or a, a major band-aid being placed on the Hubbard injury and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the the team he was he was with the Saints for the first four weeks of the season. And he just didn't make an impact at all because he's Marcus Hunt. But the team he was with before was the Indianapolis Colts, and he had two pretty good years in 2017, 2018. I think both years that he played against the Bengals, and he had pretty good pretty good games against them. So maybe it was just a thing where they bring in him for just one week and maybe see what the Colts are up to on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, like even if they need bodies, there's not much that Marcus Hunt can do. And honestly. He, he turned 33 this year. I would have expected him to turn like 36 because he was legitimately 28 years old, I think, when he first started here. Yeah, he was old when they drafted him. And uh, that yeah. was one of the – that was one of the – well, old by draft standards, I should say. Uh, and, um, you know, that's one of – that was one of the knocks then. And he did hit his stride with the Colts, like I said. But, um, you know, I, I just – I don't know how, how much more he can bring given his age. and. I don't know. I, I kind of felt like there may be some other options out there, but it's the de- it's the devil, you know, and uh, that's that's what they're sticking with. Let's go with an email from Patrick Esther, who uh, is a frequent listener of the program. There's been lots of criticisms of the coaching staff. I can't help to think the team is not going to be able to enter. He's by the way, this is in the you know, or the if the Bengals look for new head coaching uh, people or uh, candidates. Um, there has been lots of criticisms, perhaps some of it unfair of the coaching staff, but I can't help but think the team is not going to be able to interest most promising candidates. I know you don't like calling for the firing of anybody, but let's assume the Bengals are looking for a new head coach. How do they make the job appealing? Yes, there's Burrow and a collection of promising talent, but the Brown family brings a certain amount of quote baggage. Um, Sure, there are only a finite number of NFL coaching jobs, but counting on desperation to overrule common sense seems like a losing strategy. So, again, I, I don't think that this is going to be a topic of conversation this coming offseason, uh, unless this thing completely spirals out of control. But I think they're going to give Zach Taylor another shot under Burrow. What do you think with that? How 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 do you spin this aside from, hey, you got Joe Burrow? I mean, maybe that is enough for a lot of guys, but how else do you spin this job if you're looking for another head coaching candidate or a, another coordinator or something to that effect. Well, think about all the things that people don't like about Zach Taylor, right? It's not just the, it's not just him as a play caller or him as a game manager. He has a lot of a, a autonomy with this organization right now. Like he brought in all of his staff. He makes, he has great influence on the, the personnel that he's brought in. He was given a, a blank check this offseason to bring in free agents. And right now people don't like the fact that he's like, basically holding on to a family member, Jim Turner, and handicapping what could be a pretty decent offense, if not 
for a terrible offensive line and his incapability of evaluating offensive line talent that brings to why the position group is as bad as it is. So if you're the Bengals, you're like that was something that we kind of knew because Marvin Lewis, you know, garnered so much influence in the decision making process that he was able to bring in his guys and have so much influence for so long. Like that was the whole appeal with the Bengals organization, even with all their shortcomings. We're going to give you a lot of control as the head coach because we, we don't have a true GM and you're a, such a crucial factor in the decision making process. If you fire a guy after two years, even though it's the right decision, some of that brand becomes a little damaged because you just gave a guy 16 years and you just gave it gave up on a guy after two years. No matter how bad that those two years are, it's still a questionable um, factor when it comes to bringing in another guy. Like, But like you said, I don't think we're going to be talking about this in January. I think he's, he is going to get at least two years with the quarterback of the future. But at the end of the day, if you're bringing in a new guy and you have a quarterback as talented as Joe Burrow along with all these other young talented pieces, despite how bad the rest of the roster is, that's still enticing to say the least. Absolutely. Uh, you got another one in the queue here for us before we get on out of here in a few. Yeah, we got uh, a comment from Indiana Bengals fan from Cincinnati Jungle. I actually met the guy a couple of years ago in training games. He's a nice dude. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he comments a lot on Cincinnati Jungle, so I've seen him a lot for a, a long time. He's a good commenter. Yeah, so shout out to Indiana Bengals fan. He was asking, we all know the offensive line needs work. How many free agents and draft picks should we be allotting to fix this upcoming offseason? That was for the the offense or the offensive line? Offensive line. Offensive line. I think, quite honestly, and it depends on where you're drafting, where you end up drafting this year, but I, I think the first three picks of this next year's draft in some order should be two offensive linemen and probably a wide receiver. Um, I, I tweeted this out that I think the wide receiver – is a bigger need than a lot of people realize um, coming next year, John Ross impending free agent, AJ green impending free agent Auden Tate and a free agent after 21 Alex Erickson, a free agent after this year. So there, there's a lot of vacancies and Mike Thomas is on a one-year deal. So there there's four potential vacancies right there that the Bengals need to fill. And as you've mentioned, John, the, the wide receiver group this year is showing a total lack of separation. That being said, you need absolutely need another high end tackle and you need another mauling technician of a guard within those first three picks. That's I think those first three picks, that's where those are the two or three position groups you got to look at. Yeah. And the original question uh, mentioned that left guard, right guard, right tackle will obviously be, be the positions of focus, you know, because we want to keep Williams at left tackle and we have Hopkins for the next two to three years. It's going to come down to when and if Xavier Suafila comes back, how good does he look towards the end of the year? And yeah, with Michael Jordan, like he's not exactly playing great in this second year of starting, and there's only some many more weeks that they can just put him out there and expect him to develop. So if both those guys don't look prompt, at least promising, at least one of them has to be replaced next season. Um, they, they signed to a field of three years. They think that he's going to be a starter for three years, but if he can't stay on the field and when he gets back on the field, if he doesn't look any better than what John Miller did looked last year, there's just no reason to not look at, at upgrading him. And uh, again, like I don't think that they can convince themselves to go another year with Bobby Hart, despite him not maybe allowing every sack that the offense line allows there's just so much that you can put up with a guy who's as bad as that. So right tackle is going to get replaced. They're going to move on from him in 2021. One of the guard spots is going to get, is going to get replaced, even if they have both those guys under contract for two more years. Like the whole group needs needs an, an 
and, and all peel and you know they already have a guy that they're confident in left tackle and center so at least two of those spots are going to get replaced here's here's a question that kind of relates to that that question what if the Bengals get fall into Panay Sewell right the top the top rated defense uh, offensive tackle in this in this year's class he's opted not to play which is a little um a little scary I guess if you're a, a team looking to invest in a guy and you haven't seen him play for a year but I mean, he's he's an outstanding football player. What do you do if you draft him and you've got Jonah Williams? Do you move Jonah to the right then, and you play you play Penae Sewell rookie at left tackle? How do you how do you navigate that just for the sake of a fun little debate? Well, I was I was a proponent of moving Jonah to right this year and, and try out Fred Johnson left tackle because left no. tackles where Fred Johnson looked pretty good in his rookie year, and Jonah Williams hadn't taken a snap in over six hundred over six hundred days, so there wasn't like oh we have to keep him in left tackle because that's where he was two years ago. Um, if they, I think at this point you want to see for as long as you can with Jonah Williams at left tackle. I think Sewell is good enough to play on the right side. It doesn't matter that he hasn't played at at all at Oregon for as for as much as I know. But it also comes down to like. It doesn't matter like where the Bengals draft in the first round. They're going to have a chance to draft a, a, a good offensive lineman there. But when it comes to this track record, this team's track record with drafting offensive linemen, it's almost better if they just happen to fall into getting the best guy like they did in 2019 with Williams. And if they just happen to be bad enough to draft Sewell, like I'm not going to complain. But it, it's almost like that's just even more comforting than than being somewhere in the first round and trusting them to take like the best the actual best offensive lineman available instead of just hoping that they don't take a guy that they might have more confidence in. Yep. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to be here just a couple more minutes answering your Bengals questions. You can get them to us in a variety of ways. So like I said, we'll be here a couple more minutes and we'll be taking some more. So thank you for your participation in this show and for downloading it. You can get it on any number of audio platforms as well as on YouTube and the Cincy jungle Facebook page in case you are unable to join us live, but please try and join us live going forward and we'll try and answer your questions on the air. I've got one here, John. Uh, it's from our Twitter, Twitter account uh, from Coach K all day ten. How are the offensive play calling duties split? Is it one hundred percent Zach Taylor? How involved is Brian Callahan? I don't know for sure. I know that Taylor calls the plays and he has communication with Burrow and so and also going back to uh, John from Kentucky, like Burrow does have control at the line of scrimmage. He is making audible. Some of his best plays have been changes right before the snap, and he gets his wide receivers in good positions to make plays. So he has control at least to a certain extent, you know, when there's less than 15 seconds on the play cop clock to change the play. But I think when it comes to Taylor and Callahan, Callahan is obviously a heavy influence in the design of the offense, but the play calling duties, I think all fall on Zach Taylor for as, for as much as we know. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think he's, I think Callahan's a guy that designs a lot of stuff, has a lot of heavy input on the game plan. But when it comes to in the game, I think all plays go through Zach Taylor and he's the one who calls them. John, what else do you see here that we need to get to? Uh, there was one from like, his last name was Rivers and Facebook. Uh, yeah, Travis Rivers. Why haven't we seen what offers we can get for AJ? Well, if we go back to last year, this time when there were rumors swirling around about the Bengals trading AJ Green, who was also in the final year of whatever contract that he was on, there were rumors that they could have gotten like a first or second round pick, and they still held their ground and said no. We're not going to do that. We want him here long term. He wants to be here long term. That was when the market was at its best. And that's that's what he wasn't even playing 
Like he was, he had a bad ankle. He wasn't going to play for the entire year for Cincinnati and teams were still willing to give up reportedly a pretty high draft pick. Now, I don't think you could get any higher than like a fourth or a fifth. And at that point, if you're the Bengals, like I don't think that they would even feel comfortable doing that because that would just be taking the ultimate L like at this point, it's either he's coming back on like a really cheap deal or he's probably not going to come back at all because no matter how well that he finishes the season, I think there's just enough damning evidence on him that like, this is not going to be sustainable. And this is kind of where his career is going at this point. And like they they can do more to kind of ease his transition into this part of his career. But if you're a team that, that needs to, to rebuild at other positions, it's just, there's just not a lot of logic in hanging on to a 33 year old receiver. That's clearly lost a step. Well, the question itself, why haven't we seen why haven't we seen what offers we can get for AJ? I don't I mean, number one, the team would not publicly divulge any op- offers if they didn't take them really. I mean, it kind of would go through the rumor mill and number two, I it doesn't mean that they haven't fielded offers or listened to teams to see what they would get for an AJ Green. Um, but yeah, I, I agree to your to many of your points there, John. Look, the this this situation also reminds me a lot. That there are a lot of times where the Bengals do not want to trade away their guys for high value to really make a statement to the rest of their roster, right? I mean, it it was Paul Brown was that way. Mike Brown has shown the same, the same kind of obstinance. And really it's when his hand is super forced and it's a deal you can't refuse a la the Carson Palmer trade where players get moved. But I remember a time, John, I believe it was before 2010, maybe before 2009 where I think it was Washington that offered uh, what would have been a first and a third round pick for Ocho Cinco, who at the time was still productive, but starting to kind of go downhill a little bit. They were going to offer a lot. And I think the third could have escalated to a second, another second or first round pick. So the Bengals could have got a lot for Chad Johnson. Granted, the guy did a ton for the franchise, arguably the best wide receiver in franchise history. But, you know, it's uh, on the other hand, you know, it does provide a nice roster windfall for a guy at the end of the year. They said no, they weren't going to let go of Palmer, and now it kind of seems that they weren't going to let go of AJ with potential good deals on the table. Yeah, like if they were if they were going to do it, they were probably going to do it last year, but they decided to give him one more year, see how he does on the tag. If he plays well, they extend him or they sign him to a new deal to finish his career. At this point, unless things turn around drastically, it just looks like the end. And again, they're not, like you said, they're not the team that, to do this type of thing unless they get an offer that exceeds their expectations. Uh, any others you want to get to before we get on out of here? I know we got to some on the on Twitter, some from the text and call line and a lot in the chats. But uh, any others that pique your interest before we hop on out of here? Yeah, on Twitter, uh, Julia Wright asked, do you think I'm cute? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that one but uh okay that's that's good. Well that's a good one to end on. It's a good one to end on. Thanks everybody for your questions on listener questions live. We do these almost every Friday of the month, at least two if not three Fridays of the month. So join us for that. Join us for the pregame show by Narragansett Beer Sunday an hour before kickoff all the way up a few minutes until kickoff. So join us for that. John Sheeran, myself and Matt Minnick. Take on that program. We have a post game show. John, you you had a you looked like you had a you were going to say something. No, no, you're on a roll there. Oh, okay, okay. I I thought you were going to maybe say, "Hey, I'm cracking a Gansett or something like that." But uh, it's it's still a little early on Friday. Early for me, definitely. But 
anyway, you can get, get us, join us on the pregame show, join us for the postgame show after the after the game, or you can get us on the Monday News Jump, and then of course the Wednesday Deep Dive Show where John and I talk all things Bengals, dive into what happened last week, what have what's going on for the week ahead, and all of that. So thanks everybody for tuning in, John. Uh, you're gonna hit the links tomorrow, my friend. So have fun there. Yeah, and just just to clarify, what I said it's never too early to crack the pants. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe maybe where I'm at, it's still a little early. <laughs> But you're right. You're right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next. We'll see you for the pregame show. We'll see you Sunday as the Bengals take on the Colts. <laughs>